The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We're going to we're looking at 1 Corinthians 13. If you guys have a Bible, um, if you need one, there's one in the back on the table. Please take those. Those are free. But um, I think it's on page 559 of the Bible in the back. But um, or 1559. It's in the back. Anyhow, we're looking at 1 Corinthians 13 uh, this month for the next three weeks. Tonight, next week, Dave will be preaching on it, and then the following week. Um, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to talk about why we're looking at this, and then we're going to look at the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 13. So let me pray and ask that God, ask that God would help us to understand his word. Father, we, we turn now to 1 Corinthians 13 because you are a God of love and you have designed your love to shape your people so that they would become people of love. And so God, um, this seems like a nebulous and weird and confusing idea. Um, and so God, we ask that you would give us your spirit now to understand what love is. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are looking at 1 Corinthians 13 because over the last year, as we've just kind of done our life together and culture, our life together as a church, I'm just kind of watching the world around us. And um, there are three reasons that kind of drove my mind to think 1 Corinthians 13 is maybe something we just wanted to camp camp out in for a few weeks. Uh, the first one, uh, it's actually referred to earlier. First one is, throughout it, look, we live in a political climate that is highly charged and highly volatile. I mean, we had these, these shootings this last week. I don't know if you guys saw that in the news, right? A congressman got shot. Um, certainly the last political cycle with uh, the election was maybe um, not that friendly, so to speak, <laughs> right? It wasn't uh, very nice words being used at times. Um, and it seems like there is, in the political environment that we live in, just an extreme antagonism, right? Regardless of political position. The second reason that, that kind of goes alongside that is, in a, culturally speaking, um, it seems like the, the tone is being ratcheted up um, and words are being used in a way that is hurtful or intentionally um, volatile. Um, certainly, uh, not only that part of it, but... Um, we live in a world where uh, a biblical faith is increasingly um, antagon- like people, uh, our culture is potentially antagonistic towards biblical values, right? So we could talk about hot button issues or whatever. But um, just, I, I, when I look at my Facebook feed, maybe when you look at your Facebook feed or you look at the news feed, um, the culturally, you know, what it, so-and-so destroys so-and-so's opinion, right? <laughs> Right or so and so is demolished. Right, so we're using pretty pretty extensive, like difficult language. And then in the spiritual climate that we live in, I'm just encouraged. So this is the third reason. I'm just I, I'm looking at those realities that we live in, and I'm looking at how we use our words and how we we live our lives. And I want to make sure that that we we don't uh, take the bait, so to speak, of culture around us, and. And for the sake of being loving Christians, use the cultural words around us against each other or towards other Christians or towards our neighbors. 
we, uh, there's something in us that enjoys a good takedown. I don't know if you guys had these. When I was, um, when I was growing up, I remember uh, in the school, we would get like book fair stuff. I remember being like, oh, like 50 ways to do like a takedown joke. Like, mom, can I get this book? It was like a book on like how to do takedowns. <laughs> we don't want to be that way. We don't want to be Christians who know how to really, who really slam other Christians really well. And so when we, when we take up this category of love, right, because each one of those categories, politically, culturally, or spiritually, we can use the word love to justify just about anything, right? And culturally, we talk a lot about love, right? Self-love, love for justice, love for the environment, love for our children and our family, love for the nation. Um, and what I want us to do is, amidst all the other things that we want to hold Christian values on, I think one of the things that we maybe slip on, like we, we like to talk about, you know, what is a Christian value of loving or, or like being in the workplace or, a, you know, uh, a Christian understanding of sexuality or a Christian understanding of ethics. But I want us to be attentive to and not lose sight of a Christian value of love, right? At the heart of this book, 1 Corinthians, Paul drives down on this category of love and if you've read 1 Corinthians, I mean, it's, uh, it's a Jerry Springer show of issues, right? <laughs> like, it is just, uh, there is just constant issues going on. And he drives down in this category of love. And I think that there is something that we can learn in this to help us clarify what love is. Uh, the, Corinth, the Corinthian church would have been kind of like the Las Vegas plus New York City of the day, right? It was a huge city. And they had a lot of crazy stuff going on, right? They had, they had pagan worship, and you would go, um, and you could buy the meat that had been sacrificed to another god and go home and get the blessings of that god at your dinner table, and Christians were being invited to the dinner table to chow down, right? Or they had uh, crazy uh, sexual stuff going on in the, in the pagan temples. They had Christians who were filing lawsuits against each other, Right? Um, they had Christians, uh, you think that we have a great time with our um, dinner after, after worship. Imagine if we served alcohol and people were like, just like going nuts and saying like, I'm going nuts with the alcohol for Jesus. And isn't this great? Like they had that going down, right? And this would have been like a small church. Like we think of Cor- the Corinthian church, like, oh, like what, a thousand people. Probably the church would have been about 150, 150 people. So they had all these issues going down. <laughs> and like, there's not a lot of them to choose from, right? It was a... It was a hoedown of issues. And as Paul is addressing them, he zeroes down on this most basic value of love, right? He says, look, you got all these issues and he addresses them. I'd encourage you to read them. Um, But in the middle of that, he drives down on the category of love in a world that feels kind of like ours. And so that's why we're going to look at this chapter, though I'm sure that if you've been to a wedding this summer at this point or going to one, you've read it. This chapter is not just uh, for weddings, right? It's actually for us in our daily lives. This, this chapter should shape and function in our lives and how we think about what it means to be a child of God and what it means to know God. That as we look at these first three verses, we're going to be seeing that true love shows that we have everything in Christ, right? That's the, the main idea, right? True love shows that we have everything in Christ. And as we look at these first three verses, here's my, um, here's my encouragement. We are not looking at this passage 
for those people that you think need to hear this sermon (laughs) or the next two sermons, we're looking at this passage for me and for you. Don't think about how so-and-so needs to hear this or man, I really need to get this on CD so I can give it to them because man, they really need to hear about what love is. Big fat jerk, right? No, we're not doing that. This is for us. So when we're looking at this and we're thinking about this, we are trying to ask the question, God, how do I need to repent for not being loving? Or God, how do I need to grow in love? God, how do I find everything in Jesus, the love of Jesus, to define me so that I am a loving Christian? So this is a big idea. True love shows that we have everything in Christ. So we're just going to be looking at two things from this passage. And what we're going to do is we're going to start out, we're going to read through the full passage, and we're going to start out by looking at the appearance of love. Right? I don't know if you've read this chapter or not, but we're going to read the first three verses, and we're going to look at the appearance of love. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So what's up with all these gifts, right? He's talking about like these different aspects of love, of life, right? He's talking about these different, these five categories of our daily life or our life together or the extremes of life. And so what are they, right? So he's talking about uh, the tongues of men are angels and uh, being a noisy gong and prophetic powers. So we're, gonna, we're just going to walk through and say, hey, here's, here's what those are. And we're going to kind of talk about what he's saying here. So the first one he talks about is verse one, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels... So what is, what's going on there? What is he's, what's the category he's speaking about, right? Part of it is, um, he is just talking about the general category. If I can speak really good, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, certainly he's talking about the gift of tongues or the gift of just being able to speak really good, but just the, jo- the broad category. He's just saying like, if I, if I speak really well, right? If, I, if I'm, a, I'm a great speaker, I, and we can think of these folks, right? I mean, I think virtually every president is a, I mean, from one degree to another, is a great uh, speaker, right? Or Steve Jobs, right? He's a great speaker when he was alive. He, you know, the, he would do like these uh, Apple presentations and then he'd be like, but then, like he just knew how to draw you in, right? Or um, you think of, uh, I'm trying to think of other like great speakers today, but like, you know, like Tim Ferriss or these kind of like major like speakers today that are kind of secular guys. They just go around, they're great speakers or even preachers, right? Paul would be saying this and he'd be thinking of Christians too, right? So the great preachers of our day, the John Pipers or um, H.B. Charles or whoever, you know, your key preacher is. I know it's Drew's main guy right now is H.B. Charles. He's, uh, he's all up on him. The, when, he speak, when he's first one, he starts out, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, if I just speak great, but if I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And that, that's a pretty evocative term, right? A noisy gong. What he would have been saying with that is like, if I was like a hubcap, <laughs> it just kind of made like this like, just clanging noise. Like if I, if I can speak fantastic, that fill a, you know, the Verizon Center and 
speak to how many people does a Verizon or Snoo Arena hold? What, like 50,000 people or something like that? If I could fill that up and speak in a way that they're all like, yeah, but I don't have love. It's like somebody getting up there with a big hubcap and just banging on it for 50,000 people. That's crazy, right? But, but here's his point, right? Truth without love becomes a lie, right? When we, when we say things that are true with our words and we speak to people true things, we don't have love, right? It becomes a lie, right? It's, it's using true words for our own agenda, right? And that, that could be a good agenda. I want to save the whales. I want to improve the environment. I want to feed the homeless. They could be good things. But if I don't have love, my words... I am nothing. So the second thing he talks about is knowledge, right? Second, verse two. And if I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, he goes on to say, but have not love, I am nothing. Right? These are the smart guys, right? These are the, um, what's a space, what's the, who's the guy who runs SpaceX? Um, Elon Musk. Musk. Yeah. Elon Musk's of our day, who sits in jacuzzis and thinks about, you know, alternate realities for fun, you know? <laughs> like, these are the smart guys who know, like, just be, the Stephen Hawking's, right? So not only, like, the, the science guys and the explorer guys, but these are the Bible scholars who just, like, they, they can, um, I've been in a class once where a guy was like, yeah, uh, Isaiah 53, and just, like, off the top of his head, writes out the Hebrew and then parses out the Hebrew and translates it. I'm just like, all right, I throw in the towel. If that's what I have to do <laughs> to be a pastor, no way. Um, so the smart guys, right? If I have all knowledge to understand all things, right? The super knowledge guys and do not have love, I am nothing. The reason he says this is because the simple truth, God is love and God has all knowledge. And to know God truly and to not have love, you don't know God. That's just the, that's a simple equation, right? I think of uh, my, my reference point for this in terms of kind of, what, what is it? What's a visual for this? Like Tony Stark is kind of like my guy that I go to for this. All right, so you know Tony Stark, who's a billionaire, um, super smart, right? Invents uh, the Iron Man suit. This is really, this is a true story. Invents the Iron Man suit um, in a cave, <laughs> and it's because he's super smart. Uh, but he doesn't have any love, right? And that the whole his whole story arc um, is him him learning to love other people, right? I mean that's his storyline, right? Super smart, learning how to be less of a narcissist and to love other people, right? That that is what is kind of in view. Maybe not, I don't think Paul was thinking of Tony Stark when he wrote this. But I think that he was driving at this point. If you get a bunch of head knowledge and you don't use that to love other people, then your head knowledge is not from God. We want to read good books, and I want you guys to read good books. But I do not want us to become loveless Christians. The weird one that Paul points out here, the third one, if you see this in the second half of verse 2, if I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries, and have all knowledge, and if I have all faith, that's weird. If I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. What Paul's referring to here is not like what we would call 
there's a category of salvific faith, right? Look to Jesus and he will save you from your sin. That's, the, that's a free gift of grace that God gives us. Not something that we can produce or earn. God gives us the faith and we look to Jesus and he saves us. What Paul is referring to here is a gift of faith, which would be like um, believing that God is going to, for example, plant a church in Manchester, New Hampshire, right? I believe that God's called us to plant a church in Manchester, New Hampshire. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to, uh, all Christians know Jesus. You don't have to be a super Christian to know Jesus, right? All Christians, they know Jesus. But it is a gift of faith to say, God, God's calling us to do this, right? So you might call these like the visionary people or the leaders, the people who have faith to see things and to believe that God's going to overcome the obstacles. Like, God, where's the converts going to come from? <laughs> or God, where's the money going to come from? Or God, where's, where's the next location going to come from? Or God, where is such and such? And the things that seem monumentally just mount, mountains in front of us, right? He says, faith was remove mountains. If I, could, if I could envision God removing great things out of our way to accomplish great things, that seems like a, I don't know why Paul would go after that. Paul, why, wait, you're saying that those people have great vision for the kingdom of God, but they don't have love? I am nothing. I, you know, it is a bizarre way in which Paul thinks, but I think that Paul is trying to drive us to this reality. We don't do things for ourselves or to make a great name for ourselves. We don't, we don't plant churches. We don't envision amazing missionary work in the foreign countries. We don't imagine great works in our neighborhood. We don't do great companies and great businesses and great works in the world for ourselves or for our own agendas. We do them to love other people and to love God. And Paul is trying to drive at this reality that we, even those things that seem like they could be the appearance of greatness, without love, true love, they are nothing. And then the fourth and fifth thing there in verse three that Paul goes after is, uh, he says, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. These are the uh, philanthropists who give away a billion, billion, billion dollars, right? The Bill Gates, I think it's fantastic the work that they are doing, giving away all this money. Or the weird thing that he goes after is martyrs, right? If I deliver myself to be burned, if I die for the cause, but have not love, I gain nothing. Right, when we think of people who are giving their, their lives for the cause of something that is not the gospel, that is not Jesus. And we think sadly, these are giving away the very essence of who they are for something that gains them nothing. Right, these are, these are the things that Paul goes after, the speaking, the knowledge, the vision, the faith, the generosity, and even the martyrdom these are the extremes of life, right? They are the things that, that draw us in. These are the things we, we watch movies about, right? We mentioned Tony Stark, or we could throw out Batman as the billionaire general, you know, giving away all his money to serve other people. These are the stories that we love and we are drawn into. 
I think that there's a reason that Paul goes out there because we are drawn into the impressive, the hype, the extreme, the awesome, like, wow, can you believe that they did that? I want to be like that. And God is nowhere in the equation. And the reality is that we don't really think that God has to be in the equation. We, we love these things. We're drawn into them. But our works, all that we can do, will never save us. That's the, that's the point here, right? These, all these things you can do, they will never save you. I, I, I have lately been, been extremely sobered by seeing friends of mine who are doing great things, who are building great churches, but over time, moral failure, corruption, and it's shown that there, there's a lack of love in what they were doing. We don't want to be selfish people pretending to do good things for others. And we are not made to be people who focus on the good things that we could be doing just because we think that God's going to be impressed by them. Right? The reality is, even King's Cross Church, as great as you guys are, God does not need me to plant this church. He will do it without me, and he can do it without you. But he invites us in to this incredible work, right? That's the great thing. It's all of grace of what he's doing in our lives. He's calling us into this reality to do great things, right? Because none of these gifts are wrong, and we're going to look at that in a second. But the thing I want to draw out for you, just to, to end this first point on the appearance of love, is that it's not the gifts that Paul goes after. Did you notice that when we were reading through? It wasn't the gifts. He didn't say, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, um, my speech is a noisy gong. He says, I am a noisy gong. And if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and have all knowledge and I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, that's false. he doesn't say it's false faith or he doesn't say it's false knowledge. He doesn't say that it's, he says, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have and I deliver my body to be burned and have not love, I gain nothing. It's fascinating. Paul goes after the, the you might call it the existential reality, the who we are. What does it mean to be? It goes after, not that they are the gifts they're the problem. It's that we are the problem. <laughs> That's the problem. I become nothing. I, I gain nothing when I do everything for my own agenda or I do things apart from the love of God. I speak things that are not true to who I am when I do not know the love of God and enjoy the love of God and seek to give the love of God when I even give true words to other people. <laughs> right? Jonathan Edwards has this great little line an envious Christian, a malicious Christian, a cold and hard-hearted Christian is the greatest absurdity and contradiction. It is the, as somebody who should be defined by the very nature of the love of God, who is malicious and cold, it is an absurd contradiction. It is as if one should speak of dark brightness or false truth. <laughs> it's just something that can't be. This is what God is going after with these verses. He is saying, you will not be, as my people, a loveless people who does not show love to a world that needs the love of God. You will not, be, you will not claim to be the child of God and then go around and be a jerk. So here's the question. 
Have you asked yourself why you use your gifts to serve other people? Am I serving? Am I, right now, Jacob, are you preaching because you want to make a great name for yourself? Are you using your gifts in a loving way to serve other people? Are you using your words and your knowledge? I, I think about I, 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 the one that he talks about here with using, if I understand all mysteries or all knowledge, right? Being puffed up with your own knowledge. I think about all the times in my life, not that I'm an incredibly smart guy, but all the times in my life that I have tried to do a power play in a conversation. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, did you know that the Greek word there is boom? Did you know that this is the big structure of that book in the Bible? Hey, did you know this? Try to power play people to show that I'm smarter in the conversation. I said true things about the Bible, true things about God, but they weren't up to love other people. How are we using our words and our knowledge and our gifts and time? Are they to love other people? Am I loving people or my own agenda? Am I loving God or my own agenda? You see, love is the difference between this whole conversation. Love is the difference through the whole situation. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer picks up on this great little word picture in this, these verses. He says, love makes everything pretty. Right? All these things, knowledge and speaking and how we use our time and gifts, Love is a difference, and love makes them pretty. <laughs> love makes them good. Love makes them great. And so that's what we're going to look at. We're going we're gonna to kind of look at these verses and then kind of turn them on their side, and we're going to look at the way of love, right? So we're going to look at point two, the way of love, right? So we've just been talking about how gifts are not the problem, right? Gifts are not, the gifts are great. Knowledge, words, how we use our time, how we give everything away, those acts are not the problem. We are the problem. <laughs> right? we, we carry the problem around inside of us. And what's fascinating is that when we look at the life of Jesus, we would think of Jesus as being the most gifted man who ever lived. I think we can, just throwing it out there, I think Jesus was the most gifted man who ever lived. He healed people on the spot. He prayed prayers that moved mountains. He um, had prophetic powers to know the hearts of men around him when they were being deceitful and liars. He used his words to save people and to breathe the life of God into other people. He, he was gifted. And yet we see, gift, we see Jesus refusing to use his gifts at times. And I'm just going to read through a few of them, just, to, just a few examples, right? Luke 4. And it was at the end of a, a day in the life of Jesus. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him for, from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So here we are at the end of the day in the life of Jesus, where he has been healing people left and right. right? He healed everybody in town. And they're like, this is all, it's like free Medicare. This is awesome. This is the best thing ever. Jesus, stick around. Bro, we're going to get sick again. And Jesus says, I could use my gifts for that reason, but I came to love you. And I came to love other people. And so I'm going to go to the next town and tell them about the love of God. So you see, Jesus could have used his gifts for his own purposes, chose to do it a different way. Luke, uh, Luke 21, right? Jesus, 
Beginning of Luke chapter 21, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the, the offering box. So this would have been box in the back. If we all watched you put your money in the back. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, right? But she put, she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. So here's Jesus looking at people. Remember how Paul said, if I give away all money, if I give away all my money, Here's guys giving away a good amount of money, right? I'm sure they were giving away, you know, $100,000 in the offering box. Sweet. Little, little old lady walks up and puts in a dollar out of her purse. Her love for God was greater than the guys who gave 100K. Right, we see this again in John chapter 6. Just another, just a quick example. John chapter 6, verses 66 through 69. After this, so Jesus just gave this great sermon to know and love and relish and delight in God and Jesus at the end of this after this he turned to his disciples turned back many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him so Jesus said to the twelve do you want to go away as well so Simon Peter answered him Lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life and we have believed and you and have come to know that you are the holy one of God Right, so, so here's Jesus having just given this fantastic sermon. And then he delivers some hard truths. You're going to have to depend only on me and not on anything that you have. And his disciples start walking away. I mean, you, you would think a guy who could use his words like Jesus would maybe pull the punch a little bit to kind of develop the crowd, right? I mean, he basically just cut his church like in a third, right? He just said, um, you're, a bunch, you need to, you're a bunch of hypocrites if you don't depend on God and only God. And they're kind of like, oh, I don't think I can do that. Church split up. <laughs> He's left with like 70 guys. Like you think Jesus would have used his words maybe a little bit more, you know, hey, build a church. You want to get 300 people around you? That's a good situation. But Jesus says, no, no, no. I've come to deliver the true gospel of God. I'm going to use my words to love people, to show them who God is. And then just a real quick one here. I get the last one, I promise. Luke, Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, so it's the end of the days, when we, when we see God face to face, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Sounds like 1 Corinthians 13, right? <laughs> They're doing great things. I mean, I just want you guys to know, if you cast out demons... I'm going to be talking to you because that sounds pretty cool, right? Uh, casting out demons in your name and did mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, Jesus, even at the beginning of his ministry, had in view the love of God, the knowledge of God, the trust, trusting in God and not the gifts, delighting in God and not the gifts, delighting in the giver and not the gifts he is the main focus of love. Not great things and huge agendas. True love is seen in this chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. That's why we're looking at it. Because we are so often tempted to look at the great things. Guys, we live in a culture that loves spectacle. <laughs> I don't know if you picked up on this. We love spectacle, right? We just love the next great thing, the next hype, the next thing. But Love in these verses is going to look in our lives very ordinary. 
it's going to look very ordinary. We're not going to be look. We're not going to look like, hey, it was great that I just loved my neighbor. Did you guys see like Instagram picture? I just love. Did you see me loving my neighbor? No, love is going to be very ordinary. It's going to it's going to take time and commitment and tears and laughter and lots of meals and lots of hanging out and going to the ER when people are in the ER and going to birthday parties because maybe you don't like going to birthday parties but you love the kid. (laughs) It's going to look like a very ordinary reality. And I think to hold a picture of a Christian view of love in front of us, what Paul is drawing us into is that love... Maybe I can put it like this. Love is the ethnicity of heaven. Love is the language of heaven. Love is the air and breadth of heaven. Love, he will end the chapter by saying, faith, hope, and love abide. But these three, three, but the most of them, the one that lasts, love abides. But the greatest of these is love. Love is the only thing in this life which will carry over to the next. Because God is a God of love and he will be defined not only as a God of love but a God who brings people in to love him. Right, so if I can just throw this out, true love is the self-giving self-denying desire to glorify God by blessing others. Can I just throw that definition out there? You guys can disagree with me if you want, but true love is the self-giving self-denying desire to glorify God by blessing others. Which, because true love is focused on, on God and making much of God and saying this is who God is and he's a glorious God. <coughs> and in seeing who this God is, we want to be like him. We want to speak the same, same words that he speaks. We want to live with the same sort of reality that he lives. And if God's great and glorious and happy and loving, he's making us to be people who are loving and gracious and generous like God. That's why it's not just kind of like this Hallmark card, go love your neighbor. (laughs) It's actually a very focused, the God of the Bible, who is great and glorious and merciful. We just sang about his mercy is more, right? So all the ways that we have failed to love, God has forgiven because God is a merciful God of love. That, we, we've been talking about this, and some of you might be, you might be familiar with the Bibles, and you're thinking, 1 John 4, 1 John 4, God is love. We've been talking about this. So let me just read this for you and, and draw us into our conclusion here. 1 John 4, verses 16 and 19. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in, abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. We love because he first loved us. We love, anything that we're talking about with love, true love, what does it mean to love other people, love our neighbors, love each other, to love God? It's only true love because we've been saved by a story of love. Right? God, the Father who loved his Son and the Spirit enters into their their love together. They, they, they plan a world where people will be rejecting him and rejecting God. And God says, I'm going to send this love mission to seek and save them. I'm sending my son. Son, will you go 
because I love these people. I want them to be saved from their sin. I want to be saved from, from meaninglessness, from nothingness without a life of love. I want them to be saved from being clanging gongs and crashing cymbals and maniacal people who use their words against each other. I want them to be saved from that. I want them to be saved from their addictions and their abuses. So the son says, I love them too. I want to save them. And so the son comes into the world. When we, when we celebrate Christmas, we are celebrating a love mission of God sending his son to seek us out and to want, live the life that we could never live. I mean, I get annoyed when I have to go and make up the difference of like, we have to go get groceries that we forgot. Jesus didn't just pick up the groceries that we forgot. He lived the exact life that we should have lived without asking. He said, I love you. I will live your life for you out of love for you. And then I will die in your place for all that you've done. All the sins, all the wreck that we are, all the exhaustion that we, are, that we have with ourselves. All the ways in which we look at these first few verses and we think, I've used my words against other people. I've used my knowledge to bully other people. I've used my money to buy things that I shouldn't buy. I've given my life for causes that are irrelevant or against God. And Jesus says, I want to save you from those things. And so when we say we are, we are called to be a people of love, we are, we, are, we are saved by Jesus who died by love to become a people of love. Now we're, we now live in his love for us. And so now we can look at these words and say, okay, God, help me to use my words to bless other people. How can you use your words this week to love somebody? Right? To not love them how you want them to be loved or to get them on your agenda. Right? We, we want people to change at our pace. Right? Whatever our expectations are of other people, we want them to do that like now. But how do you love, your, how do you love the people around you with your words? So they're one step closer to seeing the goodness of God. Just helping them where they are. So maybe we've talked about this. Hey, I'm so grateful for who God has made you to be using your words to say that to somebody. And I'm grateful for what I see God doing in your life. Right. I just want to end with this. If you look at verse 3, can you look at verse 3 with me? Right. He says that if I, give my, if I give away my money and I give away my body and I have not love, I gain nothing. I find it fascinating that he talks about gaining, Right. So if you were to reverse the sentence, it would be, if I, if I do these things and I have love, I gain everything. If I have love, if I love, if I love with the love of God for other people, if I love God for who he is in Jesus, if I love God for who he has made me in Jesus, if I love other people because God is a gracious God who saved me in Jesus, love feels and experiences the blessing of giving away, right? But we give away everything we have, but we get the love of God. We love feels that it is only by grace that we get anything. Love feels that all the gifts that we have are pure mercy and grace, and invitations to join God's mission of love to other people, right? Love feels that it's that God is our true home, and not what we can accomplish for God. Love delights not just in the giver of everything but the gracious giver who has saved us in Jesus. 
right? We, when we love other people with the love of God, we, we gain. It's a bit of a selfish, you want to gain everything? <laughs> love Jesus. <laughs> love Jesus and you get the world thrown in. But if you love yourself, you lose yourself and the world. So let's end with just a couple questions. What, does our, what is the aim of our love? And does our love show that we are aiming at Jesus? Maybe those are broad questions, but I think we should be thinking about this. What's the aim of our love? Because if the aim of our love is Jesus, we get everything. True love knows, true love shows that we have everything in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. And we ask that you would help us, Father, to experience your love for us, to delight in your love for us. And Father, forgive us for all the ways that we have used our words against other people and our, our knowledge and our gifts that aren't loving. And Father, help us to be people who love because we have everything, because Jesus is enough, Jesus satisfies, Jesus is good. So Father, we know that you're a gracious God. We ask you would help us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.